is Streaming Things, the only show, I'm pretty sure, I didn't Google it, that brings you all the best, the brightest, the strangest films and TV shows available on your, whatever you stream on, really. It could be anything these days. It could be a phone, if you're Andy. Refrigerator. Yeah. In an ocean of streaming content vying for your attention, we are your lighthouse, your beacons of broadcast, your curators of content. We bring it all to you Mm -hmm. from on high. We bequeath upon you our streaming knowledge. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) <laughs> insert Moana song later in you're post. welcome <laughs> yeah that was what it what can I say sir? holy well, shit oh my god did Dwayne the Rock Johnson just come in here full on came in here <laughs> ew ew I don't know why clanging and banging in his personal gym that goes with him everywhere it's about pain it's about power <laughs> <laughs> It's that song he makes, it's kind of slaps oh, if you to listen, listen to it, to it oh, enough. Yeah, you yeah. told me about it and I never looked it up. Well, we'll listen to it after we're done recording. It'll hype you. Actually, it'll give me the energy I need. Mm-hmm. Um, full disclosure, listener, I slept. We yeah, had one listener. Uh, I slept <laughs> three hours last night. Nice. We, we went and saw the new Edgar Wright film and we got home pretty reasonable time. I read my book and watched a little TV uh, and then I laid down. And for some reason, I was struck with insomnia. It could have been the three-hour nap and the 32-ounce coffee that I drank prior to the, the movie. That or you're just no. scared that if you fell asleep, you'd be transported back into the 1960s. Mm-hmm. You know, and who wants to live in the 60s? Which is not my era, right? Especially London. I, I, I get why yeah. Edgar Wright likes it, but maybe that was the fear. But so anyway, I, I laid there. 1960s Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh no. God. There are trees everywhere. It's dark. I hate it. Rumors. Mitch McConnell's still here. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> It's terrible. I heard you were having a nightmare and I came over to <laughs> kick you in the dick. Because <laughs> you're a poor. Because you're a poor. Ha, 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 ha. That's how he laughs. <laughs> I saw this TikTok. Did you see that clip of uh, Adam Levine, the Maroon 5 guy? This lady jumps on stage and like hugs him and he like ooh, shakes it off and storms away all angry. <laughs> no, nice. I haven't seen that. And, uh, this one guy made a TikTok with that video playing in the corner and he's like, all right, in his defense. Okay. N- Cause there had been a lot of defense videos. Like this isn't consensual. Like he mm-hmm. didn't get, you know, it's a lot of uh, non-consent going on here, yeah. but, but his defense was like in his defense guys. I don't know if you guys are all millionaires, probably not, but do you know have any idea what it's like to have a poor person just jump up and touch you? <laughs> and then someone commented when I broke out laughing was when someone commented, no, seriously though, like, he broke his bubble and didn't have permission to be in his space. And the guy, the guy replied, it's so much worse when they're poor. And uh, <laughs> so that reminds me of, and I know this is secondhand TikTok. This is right. terrible content right now, but I'm just sharing with you guys yeah. things that made hey. me chuckle. Cause I didn't sleep last night. That is a thing you can stream. That's true. That's true. That is true. I'm usually the sleepy boy of this group. And today I'm not. Yes. Ready to rock. I, I'm feeling okay. I'm in that weird space where you just given up on, you know what I mean? Like I was tired three hours ago, but now I've reached a new plan of existence. Suicide. I've become a new person. <laughs> TW, TW. Um, so tonight's episode, Intent, is going to be about Edgar Wright's newest film, Last Night in Soho, which we saw as a trio last night. And we will be discussing that. Is that any relation to Ruby Soho? I don't think the, so. The Rancid song? No, I'm kidding. 
Nice. No, we don't know. Ruby, 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 Ruby. So there we go. I just saw yeah, Ruby a few months ago. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know. Awesome. <laughs> they, they that song. I got pin drops to that it was, reference. <laughs> it, was, it was also Dropkick Murphy, but I got so drunk before Dropkick Murphy that I don't really remember them. So it, to me, it's just the rancid. That's show. the Departed guys, right? Yes. It's the only thing I know about Dropkick Murphy. <laughs> Fell asleep in, you know, this is college. So I fell asleep to that DVD menu of the departed plane. Like that would just play. I'm too stoned to get up and change it. <laughs> Everybody's got that DVD menu that just played on as the soundtrack to their lives. Right. And that's mine. Any hoozle. Uh, you can email us at streamingthingspod at gmail.com. That is streamingthingspod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our lovely Patreon and get access to extra episodes and things like that. Have the ability to vote on the next episodes, which will become very important after tonight's Patreon recording. The Goonies episode just dropped. So Mm -hmm. become a Patreon member right now and download that. So that you can vote on what's going to be the next fan voted episode. Yeah. Which we don't have a uh, a roster for as of yet, but we will by the well, end of tonight. It'll be on. It's on the Patreon. Yeah, go back and listen to it. Yeah, you losers. What, <laughs> what is this? Someone who re- pre-recorded this episode before we actually recorded the Goonies episode? <laughs> <laughs> what do you take us for? <laughs> Unprofessional people. <laughs> yeah, the breathing there got me. Because <laughs> that's. Yeah, that's what you do in that situation. <laughs> I mean, I'm not acting suspect. <laughs> that's how I breathe, Andy. <laughs> that's how you'd be on Jeopardy. But we do have a very special surprise tonight. We actually got a uh, previous presidential candidate and beloved Senator Bernie Sanders here tonight to read our current Patreon list uh, and uh, give those patrons a good thank you. Well, Chris, I didn't know you were throwing this to me. <laughs> I was, uh, I came here on a bus. I was just trying to have my soup and then I was told to come up here. And so I assume the billionaires and millionaires that listen to this podcast uh, about the people, this grassroots movement funding streaming things from the people. Uh, first off, we'd like to thank Phil. He's a good he's a good guy. He's a mensch. Uh, we'd like to thank Carmelita. Carmelita, don't throw your cares away. Uh, Carrie, I'm love struck with you, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you for your donation to streaming things. It is a revolution. Enza, I know you are a foreign dignitary, but nevertheless, thank you so much for providing the funds that streaming thing needs to continue. Also, thank you, Cake. Hang on, I need to hear you say it. Thank you, Cake. We love you, Cake. I don't love anything. I'm Bernie Sanders. <laughs> but I love you, Cake. Katie, thank you so much, Katie. Uh, uh, Daniel, I know you don't like to be mentioned, but f- fuck you. Really, that's all I have to say. <laughs> and last but not least, Jimmy. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I got to go back to my single family home. Uh, goodbye. Thank you, Bernie. We appreciate you stopping by the show. I know it uh, takes a lot for you to... It's multiple bus routes here to the studio, I believe. So mm. we really appreciate you coming by. Yeah, he asked us for bus money. <laughs> I'm, I'm once again asking for bus money. You son of a bitch is what he said. It is <laughs> weird. Again, I need to get on the train <laughs> to there's get no, back to Vermont. <laughs> there's no train in Cincinnati. I don't I don't know what he's going to do. There is a, uh, he's a streetcar. He's going to Union Terminal and be like super confused. I thought this was the terminal for the trains. It's, it's a fucking museum. <laughs> Infrastructure needs to be funded. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so thank you so much to all of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, you are quite literally 
keeping the lights on in Andy's house. I do have to say, I wrote a whole goddamn thing for the patrons that we just bulldozed through because Chris was <laughs> oh, like, I threw you up Bernie Sanders, Sanders go. And I'm like, well, <laughs> the thing I prepped isn't set for that. Do you want to do that too? No, I don't. They deserve the thanks. No, we can't spend that much time. <laughs> on our beloved patrons. No, I just feel really guilty now because I'm, no, it's I'm three hours of sleep. Steve does all this prep work to have like a movie related thank you. And just I'm check like, out the last do night. the Bernie, do the Bernie. It makes me chuckle dance monkey just check out the last night in soho soundtrack and you can get a little inkling of what was planned okay <laughs> you can just uh, freestyle that to us later while we're watching the goonies we will i mean earlier when we did that already yeah because that's already been released exactly uh you can also follow us on twitter at stream thing pod and that's about it that i care to mention i believe anybody else have any business news or personal things they want to share Hmm? And he's got a ward on his hand he can't get rid of. It's my birthday tomorrow. <laughs> also that. That's important. Happy birthday, buddy. Thanks, guys. How old are you? How many years young? Gotta be 34. Mm-hmm. That's the age mm-hmm. of uh, Harrison Ford mm-hmm. when he first got the role as Han Solo. I mean, what has he been doing? Look at look at all I have accomplished. And he hadn't done shit by the time he was 34. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, man. He was a mere carpenter. <laughs> I love when people tell that story like he was only a carpenter. He was a piece of shit. He was basically worthless. Did you know Jesus was a carpenter? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus is. Jesus shot first. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, he did. Which brings us to our crossing stream segment. Solid segue. Crossing Streams is the segment where each week we delve into times past, much less, much like our titular property, delving into and revisit the things property. we've been streaming since last we met. What have they been streaming? Dearest Andrew, first introduce yourself to the show as if you haven't already been speaking, and then tell us what you've been streaming. Dear listener, <laughs> as you are listening to this, it is November first. I hope you had a wonderful Halloween. It is November 1st for them. Wow. It's, yeah. It's not November 1st for wow. us in the current time stream. Time travel, just like Loki. Wow. And in our time stream, it is still the spoopy season. Yes. The spoopy season. The spoops. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Wonderful. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so I've just been watching a bunch of spoopy movies because it's spoopy season. Spoopy. So everything that I streamed this week, I streamed on a little streaming service called Shudder. Uh, did you watch Revenge? I did not watch Revenge yet. However, that is currently streamable on Shutter, and a certain member of this podcast has recommended it very highly. And I intend to watch it. I need to get your Shutter login again. It's mine's logged out. I got you, boo. Because since you've got my Hulu like six times, I saw you sign in again the other day for some reason. I was like, this fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on everything. Putting it on everything. No, uh, I, I got your the login info for the TV, and then never actually did it. Uh, so that one that you saw was that. Um, okay, so first up, I watched a movie on Shutter called Haunt. Haunt is uh, produced by Eli Roth and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who famously co-wrote A Quiet Place with what, what, John Krasinski. Wait, what did you see your Eli Roth's role was? He was producer. producer. Oh, okay. So, so basically it was nothing. Like, yeah. In the trailer, it was yeah, exactly. He, he put his name on it. <laughs> he gave him some um, money. So, but in the trailer, it's like, uh, from the writers of a quiet place and produced by Roth. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay, here we go. And it is, um, a pretty 
standard fair uh, group of kids decides to go to a haunted house and the haunted house is more than they expected it to be it's uh, very spoopy very uh mccamey manor-esque if you guys have heard of that haunted house it's the one that has like a, i think it's down in tennessee it has like a massive massive wait list and like a thousands of dollar prize if you make it all the way through but you basically sign away rights and they can torture you is that the um, one where the guy where they had that episode on Netflix about him? Or is it just the the one I know about where they're pretty violent? Yeah, they're super violent. They like will shave your head. And like I've heard that they will like pull your teeth out and shit. I don't know how true that part is. I know that they shave your head, but um, like they legitimately torture you. And so nobody has actually made it all the way through in theory, at least that or not in theory. But uh, according to folklore, um, I would never fucking do that. And it sounds awful. As soon as they're allowed to touch me, I'm out. You know, it sounds like a great time to me mm-hmm. going to a dark place, paying them money to beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> you actually pay them in dog food, which is really cool that they donate. Oh, do you? They donate to like dog shelters. I reverse my opinion. <laughs> that does sound like fun. You no, know, it does sound like fun. Bringing them dog food in order to beat me up. Yeah. That sounds awesome. So Haunt was actually. I got this from Chewy. Here, this is my <laughs> Chewy shipment for the day. <laughs> uh, Haunt was actually really good. It, like most horror movies, completely fell apart in the third act. Uh, and I don't understand. It must be really fucking hard to make a horror movie because, like, it was sure. solid really good lots of good scares really good kills and i'm like fuck yeah like i was really genuinely excited like i haven't run into a good new horror movie in quite some time and i was like really digging it and then i got to around the third act and it just fucking fell apart and it's like where's that guy been the whole time and it's like why the fuck did you do that that doesn't make any sense and just completely went off the rails and i was super bummed but ultimately it's not the destination. It's the journey that gets you there. And I had a good time. And so I would recommend it for just like a spoopy good time. I'm probably never going to watch it again, but I'm glad that I did. Hey, you know, sometimes that's all you need in the spoop season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The next thing that I watched was the feature film debut of Johnny Depp. Do either of you know what movie that was? Five. A directorial uh, debut? Feature Freddy, film debut. Friday or Freddy, Night, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, that one. A Nightmare on Elm Street. I was like, Freddy Krueger, Freddy, Jason, (laughs) Friday the Jason, Jason goes to hell, Friday night at Freddy's, (laughs) yes, Nightmare on Elm Street, yes, so I watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm reminded why I literally had a nightmare that night, that movie fucked me up when I was a kid, oh, I thought you meant the other night. No, I did have an, uh, a nightmare the night that I watched. Oh, really? Recently? I didn't have like a nightmare about Freddy Krueger or anything. Like, I like oh, no, the kid. bed's going to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like specifically the uh, sequence when Nancy is uh, nods off in school uh, after her friend has already died. Uh, that sequence where her she's in a body bag and being dragged by nothing and leaving like a streak of blood that Mm. fucked me up so bad as a kid and like still to this day i was like watching it with my girlfriend and like got chills and shit and like it just it was like a nostalgia scare which is fucking dope um anyway uh the original nightmare on elm street is super good occasionally really campy but has some of the most genius stuff like that shot where nancy's laying in bed and starts to nod off and then freddy krueger like pushes through her wall and like hovers over her and then leans back in and disappears. It's like they put up like they cut like a hole in the wall and put up like a sheet across the whole thing and like had to lean through with like the knife fingers and stuff. Badass. 
Uh, it's like the idea of just referring to Freddy Krueger as dude. Dude. They're having dude lean through. Well, it was it was actually like the set designer that was the one doing yeah. the leaning, but uh, it's still super neat. Um, but yeah, uh, ri- original. I'm cutting out a little bit, or maybe that's my headphones. Uh, I think that's your headphones. Uh, super duper excellent movie. Um, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies are so much fun. And so the other thing that I watched on Shutter was a Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. I watched the remake. Um, There's oh, a remake? With, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the one with the guy who played Rorschach in the Watchmen movie. What's yeah. His name? Jay, oh, God. You Jackie Earl Haley? Jackie Earl Haley. There yeah. it is. I knew it started with a J. I went, J. It's Fr- J. Fred, Freddy, Fred, J. Frankie. Frankie. And do you know who plays Nancy? I do not. I've, I've seen this movie, but I don't remember. Rooney Mara. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a waste of talent, I'd imagine. That's so th- She that actually movie, does a pretty great job. Well, of course she does. Yeah. Doesn't that movie do a weird thing where you, it like sets up Exists. a main character? Yeah, that <laughs> well, it sets up a main character, but that main character like dies thirty minutes in. Like it's um, one of the first people killed by Freddy Krueger. You're like, oh, that's not the person we're following. Okay, kinda, kinda, yeah. yeah. Um, it is. Uh, so in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy has a friend that dies pretty early on, like during a sleepover. Uh, they sort of introduce that that same character now she's it's it's weird it's a weird remake because they do their own thing but lean into the original like a little too much so it's like there is that quote-unquote best friend character who um i think in the new one her name's chris um what i can't remember if it's chris in the original or the new one i think it's spooky chris what's your name (laughs) um did you know I didn't. I didn't even know this existed, and I'm sad it does. But of course it does. Well, this was at a time when uh, uh, horror movie remakes were a big thing. Like the year before, they had remade uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, um, it, was, it was the big popular that's thing like in 2009. Still going on. Oh, for sure. Well, this came on the back. It was like the first time they really started doing hard, gritty reboots of all the 80s horror classics, like Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. Like they all mm-hmm. got remade uh, or had these reboots within the last like a couple years of each other. They were really, really back to back. And this is probably the best of them. Um, like well, pretty well done. Really like, does enough to differentiate itself from the original. But like I was saying, leans kind of hard into it. That shot that I was mentioning in the original where the production designer is playing Freddy Krueger leans in like through the tarp and makes it look like he's coming out of the wall. They CG the hell out of that. And had like you can tell more of this Freddy Krueger's face, and he's like leaning over around Kate Mara's head, or yeah, like over her shoulder and stuff, and it looks fucking awful. <laughs> and like the 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 original, that's like one of the most iconic horror shots of all time. Yeah, and it's like if you were gonna do it again, first off, you shouldn't have because it's a remake. You should be doing something original, and that's why I love like the Evil Dead one so much. They're just like, okay, take the concept, do our own thing. Um, but in this one, if you were gonna do it, like that was number one on the list of ways not to. It was horrible. Yeah, horrible. Did, I also remember, and this is this might just be because I'm not super familiar with the franchise overall, but I remember that movie going out of its way to try to make Freddy Krueger a sympathetic character. Um, kind of, kind of, where they're like, "Oh no, he got wrongfully accused, and that's why he's was killed." And- Sort of. So I don't yeah. know how much, I guess, uh, you know, movie stories from 1984, so it's not that big a deal. They do. They So it um, 
in the original, it's kind of like hinted at, like, was he maybe like a molester? Because we know that like the parents all went after Freddy Krueger and yeah. burned him alive. And like, that's his origin story. And so in this one, like one of the children is like, why the fuck did you do that? You don't even know if he was guilty. And then like they definitively answer that question. Was he innocent or not? And he wasn't. In, in in the original or I'm sorry not in the remake they're like no he like they find pedophile pictures and stuff and it's like oh yeah no he was totally molesting these kids uh, okay. or whatever um, they did a really <laughs> really good job with uh, Freddy Krueger's makeup because he's a burn victim and so in the original he looks like a comic book character burn victim whereas in the remake he looks like a burn victim like somebody that had massive skin grafts and didn't really work like he looks fucked up and uh and also it's jackie earl haley so you got a good canvas to work off of mm -hmm. when you're trying to make someone look fucked up absolutely (laughs) and he's got the perfect voice for it so like generally freddy krueger like is like spooky but has these like campy one-liners and stuff um, You're my nightmare now, Nancy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. Um, that's what's awesome. Hey, look at this, and cuts his fingers off and stuff. But you know, this is picture Rorschach's voice doing like the "I'm God." You know what I mean? Like super all fucked up, and yeah. um, and they're you know leaning into the more horror aspects of it. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, he killed it as Freddy Krueger. Uh, Rooney Mara was excellent as Nancy. Uh, the part that you were talking about, her name was Chris. Uh, Katie Cassidy uh, of uh, Green Arrow fame, or just Arrow. Mm. She played Black Canary in that. She is the one that plays Chris, who is like the Nancy's friend that kind of is seems like the main character starting out and then ultimately isn't. Um, there's a really, really cool recreation of the uh, floating body death scene from the original where uh, girl's asleep and then in sleeping bed with her boyfriend that gets lifted up in the air and slammed around the ceiling and stuff and then cut open they recreate that to great effect um that's like one of the only times where they're like nodding heavily into the original and do a good job with it Mm -hmm. um so very uh, as far as horror movie remakes go solid i might have to check it out before spoopy season (laughs) ends but probably won't but probably should hey got a couple days did they successfully do that kill from the first movie where he turns Nancy's mom into a inflatable sex doll and <laughs> pulls her through a window? No, they. <laughs> that's so bad. That's dude. not what it's supposed to be because it's supposed to be like a trick of the camera where it cuts away from her and then cuts back and she gets like slurped into the window. Uh-huh. But it's she's clearly very like a, an inflatable doll. It's, it's an yeah. inflatable doll. So <laughs> that that movie is a low budget hero story. Yeah. Um, the way that they did, do you guys know how they did those shots? Which. Like, uh, Johnny Depp's death and the girl getting thrown around the room death. I don't. So really cool. They built a room that can be turned on an axis. And so they actually turn the room upside down and then pump hundreds of gallons of fake blood through the ceiling and film it upside down. Hmm. And that way it looks like it's being burst through the bed. It's actually just water falling from the ceiling. So how did they have her float around? They did the same thing. They turned it upside down and rebuilt the set to where like the ceiling was actually the floor and stuff. But does that make sense? I, so was it like green screen? Because she, no. she's straight up turning in air and stuff. No, she's just rolling around and stuff in that. Like they're turning the room and it was dangerous. She got all bruised up and stuff. And like, they're flipping this room around and stuff, but also like changing the camera to where it looks like the room's straight. That makes sense. And she's turning. 
I get what you're saying. It's just there are it wasn't sequence, sequences where she's prolonged just straight up in the air. And I'm curious how that was done. I don't remember, but I know that there's no like digital stuff there. They all just had this like giant flippy floppy room. When they did the blood, though, it actually they didn't think about it. And that set filled with water and it's on a soundstage and that water like started to break the fake room and oh, yeah. rush out and everybody ran like, <laughs> and it like got in the electrical and stuff and people got electrocuted and stuff up top oh, and dang. it was just really poorly Damn. planned. Yeah, it's just like Damn. pouring all over this light that's on and they're like, yeah, good shot. Yeah, it's going to be fine. That's why they have unions. But the, <laughs> right, the yeah. very last scene where she gets yanked as a doll, there was actually five or six endings to this film and Wes Craven hated that one but the studio wanted one where freddie was like i'm st- i'm so here it's going to return so they could have all the sequel money and stuff mm-hmm. so he shot a few different returny ones one of them was where uh the main character is driving in a car and like the roof turns into his like striped sweater and like he is the car basically and he's like mm-hmm. i got you you're in my car my, <laughs> my dream car body you're in my belly and like the studio hated that one so they're trying to get funding from this other studio to buy the film. I wonder why. <laughs> and he's it's got the ending where he actually likes the ending in the reel. Uh, and this the guy, the producer guy calls Wes and he's like, hey, do you have the ending with the where he grabs the mom through the window? I, I love that ending. And I told them about it and they're fucking stoked about it. And he's like, no. And so they had to send the secretary. The studio's already watching the film and the secretary's like running back to wherever they fucking keep the, the reels. And the editor's like trying to edit the ending onto this movie while it's playing. Wow. Ooh, I've had to do that before. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> scary. Yeah, it was spoopy for them. Well, I don't know how, what, to what extent he was editing, but I've, I've had to... I mean, I don't know. He had to splice a whole different... I've had to splice like tack on the end of something like on top of a reel as it was playing and yeah it was fucking horrifying so that's what he did for the execs and like they have no distribution if this doesn't work wow. he successfully adds the ending and they're, they're like Meh, and they still didn't like it <laughs> <That's> <laughs> cool but for some reason that ending stuck and mm. everyone hates it involved in the actual art artistry of the film so well, just thought you well, should know i they liked did. it <laughs> they did better with the uh that kill in the remake well, i would hope so yeah. 40 years later. I kind of wish that they had kept that one. But it's still, uh, I think, just low budget problem solving heroism to me. Mm -hmm. Some of those, because some of those kills are really cool. And it was the first, you know, Halloween and uh, Friday the 13th had already happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But Wes Craven's idea was so surreal. Uh, like he comes in your dreams and like, you know what I mean? It was just like, yeah, it, I don't know if we should do cool this, buddy. Thematically, like the, unable to differentiate what's real and what's imaginary in a, you know, formative period in your life. It's super cool. And that was Wes Craven's first film, right? Uh, was this after like people under the stairs? And like, this no is, idea. this is before I'd have thing, to look it up on right? my phone, but I can't I don't think so. I have a dog in my arm. That's why I can't. <laughs> no last house on the left was his that's feature right. debut so that's where he got the uh the pedigree from the 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 cojones the and then credits. the hills have eyes so there you go wow he had already done lots of spoopies mm-hmm. any hoozle but yeah that's what i've been streaming i brought up people under the stairs that was a deep cut that is him right <laughs> no 99 percent sure uh, no idea. it was a movie i liked when i was a kid uh steve yes it was him Thank you, Andrew. What the fuck have you been streaming? Dude, I've been streaming so much I don't know why shit. I cursed. I apologize. That's okay. I like the energy. I'm sleepy. Read it to me again. 
What the fuck have you been streaming? Motherfucker, I've been streaming so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> Line. <laughs> I like this. I like this chemistry we have going. Let's yeah, bounce for it sure. Back and forth. Uh, first off, I started to stream. Or some of you who follow me on Instagram may have noticed that on my story, I put up a pulse asking, "Should I start watching 1998's Cowboy Bebop in anticipation of the?" New Cowboy Bebop. Uh, and uh, I did not wait for the polls to come in because I just started watching the first episode. <laughs> nice. You can stream it on Netflix. Um, I only stream the first episode because uh, it's, you know, it's an anime from the 90s. And so, like, it just wasn't, I wasn't in the right space to watch it. That being said, uh, it was always a property that, uh, like, like, growing up, like, in high school and, like, my younger college years, I remember a lot of my close friends were really into Cowboy Bebop. And they're always like, watch it, watch it, watch it. And I just never got around to it. So finally, I'm like, ah, now's the time. I've got time to watch shit now. I, the new Cowboy Bebop's coming out, and I kind of want to watch that because that looks super stylish and fresh and hip, as the young people say. Mm, on fleek. Uh, so I, I booted up. And one thing I do have to say that I really, really enjoy is just the the, the manic style of like the music and the, the just... The way they use uh, color, especially in like the introduction, like that intro animation is really, really fun and snappy and cool. I really, really like that. And it's, I mean, it's people in spaceships being cowboys and bebopping you love all that over shit. the galaxy. Yeah, bebopping, you know? rocksteadying. Uh, it, it does do that weird thing that animes like just can't resist doing where if a man is like super intense, his eyes are bulging out of his head and he's like super red in the face. It's like, <laughs> it's like all these like, just over the top performances and you know, you have to be in the right mindset to watch that kind of thing. And I just wasn't in that right mindset. So I, I did not continue watching it. Maybe I will probably won't the, uh, the dubs were on sadly. Oh, I know Ellie doesn't like, but how about Bebop either? No, not uh, a fan. and the, the dubs were on and I kept watching them because, uh, the, um, the voice actor for Spike Spiegel, the main character, as soon as that motherfucker started talking, I'm like, that's grunt from Mass Effect, and I can't not hear it. Like it's just grunt from Mass Effect, not Shepherd. being mean. Yeah, it's not. It's, instead of going Shepherd, it's him going Shepherd. But it's him. It's undeniably him. And it, it's did like, you look it up? It is him. Yeah, it's one hundred percent Steve Blum. Uh, he, I mean, he's a huge voice actor. He's in like so many goddamn things. I'm sure there's something else I could probably name him off of that would be more relevant. You know. <laughs> so the dubbing for Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. It. Dubbing wasn't great, but dubs rarely are. No. The next thing I started watching, we're going to keep with this animation theme. I started watching an animated show also on Netflix that just came out this week, I believe, called Inside Job, starring Lizzie Kaplan, Christian Slater, Clark Duke, among others. Uh, for those of you that need a synopsis, uh, Netflix describes it as, for employees of the deep state, conspiracies aren't just theories, they're facts. And keeping them a secret is a full-time job. Now that sounds like a serious thing. It's not at all. It, like imagine if uh, Christian Slater getting work is a serious thing. Yeah, that is a serious Hell thing. Yeah, yeah. That guy needs to get more work. He's, I, uh, he's underrated. Reboot I, Heather's. I walked in on my wife <laughs> watching this and sat down and watched like three episodes in the middle, which I didn't mean to do. But I was putting on my shoes. I hate doing that. It's not how I am. I it was so engrossing and funny that I couldn't stop. So I recommend it to everybody, but go on. Yeah, it's really silly. Basically there's a deep state and Lizzie Kaplan is this uh, woman who's trying to kind of like move up the corporate ladder of the deep state. And she's got like her coworkers that are all, you know, one guy's the, the doctor, but he's addicted to chemtrails and there's an alien, but he's a uh, voice by um, fucking what's the reporter's name in stranger things. Maury Bauman. 
Yes. That actor voices the alien and he's like such a prick. That alien's like, awesome. Yeah, he's like so fucking funny. There's like a whole episode where like um, he gets amnesia and he's like dropped in this t- small town and they think they pretty much replay E.T. but if E.T. was a giant cock bag to the kids. Awesome. <laughs> That's <laughs> the episode I walked in on. Back? There was a part where they're like talking about having an orgy and his, his character's like a squid. Uh, an alien squid thing and he's like uh, oh I want to come I love sex I'm super good at it and I, I like looked at the TV and cocked my head and I was like sat down interesting <laughs> go on <laughs> I too am good at it <laughs> but no it's a lot of fun I mean it's only 10 episodes uh, they drew the character of Reagan to look like Lizzie Kaplan. It's really funny. Yeah. I, maybe accidentally, but. I don't know about you guys, but I love Lizzie Kaplan. Oh, for sure. She's one of those actresses that when she pops in in something, I'm always like, I mean, I instantly like the show. Ooh, piece of candy. Mm-hmm. I like the show now. Um, like she pops into, remember New Girl? Remember that show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was like in the first season of New Girl as like one of the characters, girlfriends, you know, for like three or four episodes. And I, like, as soon as she popped up in that show, I'm like, well, I like this show now. <laughs> as started- if Zoe Deschanel wasn't enough. I know, right? I love Zoe too, but Lizzie Kaplan too. They kind of look alike. Yeah. A little bit. Both brunette. Yeah. They got bangs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever see Party Down? No. Uh, it's by the... That's something I like to do. You, I think you would actually love the show. I think Party it's- Down on Party Hardy. Mm-hmm. It's only two seasons. It stars Adam Scott, Lizzie Kaplan... Um, and a bunch of, uh, Jane Lynch is in it. Um, there's a lot of good actors in it, but it's, it's from the creator of Veronica Mars. Um, and it's about actors in LA who are, you know, down on their luck. They can't get an acting gig. So their real full-time job is their caterers. And it's just the, the, every episode is them at a different catering function and the insanity that involves them in the, at this catering event. That sounds interesting. It's really, really funny. It's really good. The best episode is the episode where uh, they cater at Steve Gutenberg's house (laughs) playing himself. And it's one of those things where they show up and Steve Gutenberg's like, oh, man, I forgot to tell you guys. I meant to cancel the parties no more. Oh, now I feel bad. You know what? Let's have a party just us. And it's, just, <laughs> it's just these normal people partying with Steve Gutenberg, and it's fucking hilarious. Uh, but yeah, party down. Go watch that. That I didn't stream that, but I always want to like plug, yeah, plug that wherever plug possible. that show because it only got two seasons and it's a crime. Um, and lastly, I want to talk about I. So I guess I'm an asshole because I thought you guys had already saw this. And we're being super kind and polite and not talking about it to me because you didn't want to spoil it for me. But then after I saw it, I realized, oh, no, they haven't seen it either. I'm the asshole who went and saw it by myself. <laughs> what is this? Uh, that would be No Time to Die. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> no, that's okay. That was my fault. That was the night I had tickets and bitched out on going by myself because it was at 9 p.m. on a Saturday. And I was just having anxiety and stuff and just like didn't go. And uh, that's my fault. Yeah, I just got busy. Because I had tickets to the Thursday show and we had to record the podcast that night. So I switched it to Saturday, but it was nine o'clock on Saturday. I was like, that's fine. I'll have a good time. And I was like, I don't want to go peak time by myself. Anyway, go on. What'd you think of it? I loved it. It's really fucking good. Um, It's it's a really, really great send off to Daniel Craig's Bond. It feels like a proper wrapping up to that story. Uh, the, the, his performance is really fucking great. Uh, he, thankfully you'll be happy to know Andy. He has a lot better chemistry with Leah Sadu in this movie than the inspector. Um, 
There's also a lot of standout, uh, like Anna de Armas in that movie is so fucking great. She's awesome yeah. in it. I told you she's my favorite Bond girl, and I've never even seen that movie. Yeah, you will love her even more. She is definitely a standout. In I want to see this so bad. It's just so long, and I keep wanting to double feature something with it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, it won't work because of the runtime. It's run long as hell. It's like two hours. And like tomorrow, we're seeing minutes. the last duel, and I'm tempted to try to find a noon. Uh, showing of there isn't so they're not doing showings at amc this week until before like, five yeah before well before three o'clock yeah why in general there are no movies before three I'm so i might go to wilder or something though and then drive but it's just hard to pull off because i was trying to figure out if i can watch french dispatch before check the wilder showings i mean we'll have to pay for a ticket but what do you take me as <laughs> <laughs> i know fucking bernie sanders is on speed dial because i'm poor <laughs> as hell he knows my plight yeah, he does uh, but yeah, No Time to Die was really, really great. I do want to point out, uh, definitely go see this movie. The opening five-ish minutes is a perfect example of how to do horror in broad daylight, oh, which is no super shit. fascinating when you think of it in the context. This is a James Bond movie, but the first five minutes play like a horror film and it's great. Like, Is it like the introduction of Rami Malek's villain? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you had my curiosity. It's now you have so my attention. Fucking good. Like, just some of the shot. Like they have stuff in view of the camera for a long time. And it's like, oh shit, that's it's right. No, behind you. That type of thing. It's really, really well Daylight done. Daylight horror is so hard to do. It is. I'm stoked. Whoa, what's that? Chris's laptop's just what? fucking. There's a ghost. I told you guys it's spoopy season. It's spoopy season. It's the Muppets. It's a commercial for a spoopy Muppets movie. The ghost of Miss Piggies. <laughs> Kermit, Kermit, there's ghosts. Kermit. <laughs> yeah. That's all I've been streaming. I didn't stream Muppets. Oh, okay. I didn't stream much either. So we're, we're close to the main event, folks. Um, I watched a movie called The Forgotten Battle. Did you guys see this? Perhaps I, I did, but I forgot it. about it. It's a <laughs> new Netflix. <laughs> I used that dad joke on my son because I watched it with him. And I was like, do you remember that movie that we wanted to watch? I saw you do the trailer and now it dropped. And he's like, no, I don't remember it. And I was like, it's called The Forgotten Battle. And he was like, I, I don't remember it, dad. And I was like, so you forgot it. And he didn't, burr, he didn't burr, laugh burr, either. Burr, 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 burr. I hate you, Dad. It's about World War II, which is why I watched it with my son, 1944. But it's about a lesser known uh, important event in that war. So it's a British glider pilot, a Dutch boy fighting on the German side, and a Dutch female resistance member all end up involved in the question, Battle of the Scheld. Question. When you say Dutch boy, do you mean a young Dutch person? Yes. Who is a male? Okay. Yes. The way you said that almost sounded like it could have been like, oh, you know, the Dutch boys they use in World War II. Like it's, <laughs> One of the Dutch boys. No. It's, it's a, a British gun. glider yeah. pilot, comma, a Dutch boy fighting on the German side and a Dutch female resistance member. Um, I will say I did not like this movie and I do not recommend that anyone watch it. <laughs> However, it was an interesting movie in there. They did one thing, two things that I really like. Um and this is going to sound terrible and I'm going to do my very best to phrase it in a way that is not later able to be clipped and used against me if this show ever makes it anywhere. However, they showed a Nazi in an empathetic light. And what I mean by that is that it is a Dutch person. So a territory that Germany conquered forced into conscription mm. into the German army who held, holds none of their beliefs. It's not like an SS member or anything. Uh, just 
re, you know, resigned to fighting w- amongst them and against the allies. And uh, I'm sure that there were many thousands of people like that. And that is its own terrible thing that is not touched upon very much. I feel yeah. like uh, usually it's like faceless uh, swastika bearing uniforms shot down in glee. Um, and this is just like this boy who's just like keeps getting pushed into trenches and like shooting it right. you know what i mean he's just terrified the whole time and hates it i went on this kick reading a bunch of pulitzer winners and uh one of them that i read was uh, all the light we cannot see and uh it's set during world war ii and it's about this like french blind french girl and a basically the exact same thing a conscri- conscription soldier from uh the axis that does not want to be a part of it but is forced to because of this certain skill that he has with radios but uh yeah can it, turn them on <laughs> they're they're easy to point at and make a nameless villain. Yeah. And, and it's a lot more interesting when you can dig into a more humanitarian side of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean it was those scenes were uh really interesting. Um I also didn't know much about the gliders, but I don't know, you guys might, but apparently they took uh like, you know, the planes that you would see in dogfights that are like uh crop duster planes flown by the guy in Independence Day to me now. Um, I'm back. I'm back. They took those and like there would strap like ropes and hooks to a, a glider and like tow a plane up to the air and then like unleash it to like be silent. It would drop bombs and you couldn't hear it coming because it doesn't have no engine. Didn't know that was a thing, but apparently that was a thing hmm. that was interesting, but also they do a thing that's not done enough where in international movies where you have, you know, there's part of part of it's in, in Holland and part of it's in Germany and part of it's in France and part of it's in England each of those countries, they speak that language, you know, and then if it's not in English, it has subtitles. And so, you know, it's an understandable thing, but a little annoying when they say it's in Japan and they just decide to speak English with a slightly what they think is a Japanese accent because they know the audience is English. Right. Uh, Rather than just trust people to watch a movie with subtitles. And you know what I mean? No no matter where in the world it went, it used the actual language and those actors from that country. And I thought, oh, this is cool. This is like a truly international movie. And I've only seen that done a few times. I really respect it. However, it's mostly not a good movie. Uh, I was bored. Uh, Anyway, that's the forgotten battle. I will gladly forget about it after this. (laughs) But I did also watch a show called My Name on Netflix. Have you guys seen this or heard of it? No. So I assume with the popularity of Squid Game, this got pushed. Oh, my name is Chris. Yeah. Hi. Came up for the second time. My name is. Uh, This is another Korean show after the popularity of Squid Game, I suppose, is why it got pushed up in the Netflix algorithm, I would imagine. But rightfully so. This is the story about a woman who joins an organized crime ring and infiltrates the police as an undercover agent in order to find out the truth about her father's death. Um, So the show opens and she's just like a high school teenager uh, whose father has recently perished. This is all in the first two minutes. And later it becomes revealed that he was uh, uh, sort of about a uh, he, he was a, a crime member, sort of a I don't know any gangs in Korea, but he's a huge organized crime mm-hmm. ring. Um, and so she's kind of shunned in the school for that. And uh, long story short, she decides to join that organization to avenge her father's death. And so like, there's whole episodes devoted to like her training. And she's the only woman amidst like dozens and dozens of gangster trainee men. Uh, so she has to be extra tough to survive that. Right. Um, so if you're a fan of movies like the raid or uh, atomic blonde or anything like that, it's, it's really interesting. A lot of badass choreography and fighting, but also, um, 
Korean cinema is really on a tear these last four or five years, I feel like. So hot right now. Uh, or maybe has always been wonderful. I just became aware of it. But ever since like uh, I started watching Bong Joon Ho movies and um, Train to Busan, things like that, I've been really paying attention to shit like this. I watch them every time I see them. Squid Game was phenomenal. My name is really, really good. And if you if you liked Squid Game, uh, I really recommend that you check out my name and I will be updating you. I've watched, I think, two episodes, three episodes. It's really, really good. I really want you to watch it. Uh, that's the close of our crossing strings. Uh, not strings. We don't cross strings around here. We cross I mean, streams. Damn we it. do sometimes. And the beginning of our main event. The Streaming Things review of Last Night in Soho. Ja, und Daisy und Co. sind diese Woche mit ihrer neuesten Platte Nummer 19 in England. Last Night in Soho. You came into my life like rain upon a barren desert. All right, this song is called Last Night in Soho, sung by Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch, which is the song that gets the, uh, which is the title for this movie. It's where, where he got the title from, was the song. But not on the soundtrack? It is on the soundtrack. Oh, is it? Okay. I did. Yeah. However, I can't play it on Spotify. I guess Spotify doesn't have the right to play this specific song on the soundtrack. Huh. Isn't this the, no, it's not the one I was thinking of. I think this is the one that made me think of Sweet Caroline, though. Yeah. You're right. Uh, I tried to listen to the soundtrack myself this morning on my commute to Louisville. And I was going to call you, but it was too early. But Apple Music doesn't have the rights to any of these songs either. And I was super oh, pissed. Wow. I was like, where the fuck was Steve listening to all these songs? I'm not going to play YouTube in my car all the way down. Spotify seemed to have all of them except for like two. And this was one of them. Yeah. Like, it appears, but it's grayed out and you can't. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it. Apple Music had like 18 of the 22 songs grayed out. Wow, and I was yeah. like, we got to be in, in fucking London to listen to these. <laughs> London. Fucking this London. Bollocks. I just love how that band's name. You think you can leave. <laughs> <laughs> that, that band's name is Dave D, Dozy, Beaky, Mick, and Titch. And Titch, baby. It sounds like fucking uh, Justice Kavanaugh's college friends. <laughs> it sounds like the. <laughs> <laughs> right. I like beer. I like beer. <laughs> Squee so much. <laughs> Didn't he have a friend named Squee? Like that Did was part he? of the thing. God, like I don't remember that. Spoofer and Squee. I was never forget the face squee. he made when he said, "I like beer." Actually, one of the one of the best SNL skits was when Matt Damon played him in their opening thing. Oh. They're like, "Justin Kavanaugh, do you like to drink?" It's like, "You mean was I cool? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so cool, good. bra. So good." But yeah, Last Night in Soho by director uh, Lots of Puss. Edgar Wright. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically what Kavanaugh said. Uh, Written and directed by Edgar Wright and co-written by Christy Wilson Cairns. Uh, This was a movie for certain. But Edgar Wright is one of our very favoritist directors. I think all three of us, I can safely say that, right? Hell yeah. Uh, Director of the Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, uh, Hot Fuzz, and At World's End. Scott um, Pilgrim, Baby Driver, all goodies, and the the documentary about the the the, the Sparks Brothers. I did not watch. That I didn't one. either, but I I'm heard, saying it exists. I heard it was okay. Yeah, I, I think mean, the only thing we left out was Fistful of Fingers. Fistful of Fingers. This movie is described by IMDb thusly, and this movie, I mean, last night in Soho, an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s, where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer, but the glamour is not all it appears to be. And the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter 
into something darker. Mm. That's a little spoilery for my taste for personally, but I'm very spoiler averse. I mean, mm-hmm. almost too so. Like a like a lady who I don't know why it's a lady, I'm fucking misogynist, who's very fearful of spiders. Like mm. just a little too much. Like, come on, just hit it with a paper towel. <laughs> I'm gonna throw Andy for a loop here and toss it to Steve. What? what? So what, what we're gonna do is we're gonna give a spoiler-free review, just overall thoughts, and then we will use a spoiler bumper for those of you who have not delved out into the the dangerous COVID-ridden forest. I don't think there's a lot of COVID just in the forest. You're outside. Oh, really? Are you, Are you a scientist? Steve. Are you a scientist? I listen, saw it on Facebook. Hey, listen, I've done my own research. Okay? I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> on Me- I saw it on Meta. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, Steve, what are your overall thoughts uh, on Last Night in Soho? I really had a great time with this movie. Um, so, I had an expectation going. Actually, I did not have too high expectations going in. It was mm-hmm. one of those things where I saw the trailer and just based off the trailer, I'm like, it's Edgar Wright. I have a gist of what the story is. I'm going to probably like this movie. And then I went in and I like this movie. Uh, I thought it was really, really well done. I think Edgar Wright is, this is almost like his most subdued movie where it's not quite like when you think of Edgar Wright, the first thing I think of is like quick shots and edit to sit match cut after match match cut, cut, like looking at everything. And there's like all this energy and it, it doesn't have those type of shots, but it still has a lot of energy to it. Uh, it's a beautiful film. I think the lighting in, in particular is used to great effect. Uh, it does this great thing where this movie wants to almost reimagine uh, filmmaking of that age, but in, with a, with modern sensibilities to it. There's so many shots that are reminiscent of like horror films from the 60s, and they're done really, really well, and I almost wish there was more of that. Um, uh and the story is kind of bizarre, and I think that's why a lot of the synopsis can be considered more spoilery than necessary. Because mm-hmm. if you just like, it's hard to describe to someone what this movie would be without spoiling at least the the main conceit, which is like, oh, someone can go and experience the sixties, you right. know. And, but but I think because I think it's overall done really really well in terms of we're following two different characters. One character is basically just watching the other character's life unfold, mm-hmm. um, but it affects her d- deeply as well. And I think that's such a weird, complicated thing to pull off, and he, he's able to do it really really well. Uh, I think in a lesser director's hands, this movie would just be meh. You know, like if it didn't have Edgar Wright's style and obvious love for that style of film uh that era of the you know the 60s in london if if you didn't have a director that had those things this movie would not be nearly as good as successful because i think on paper it is a it is a crazy concept but on paper i don't think it's necessarily written super well um but because you have that flash and that craftsmanship from Edgar Wright, it definitely elevates the material. Plus, there's some pretty good performances that I really, really enjoyed. But there is one notably bad performance, and I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll all get to because I think we all kind of felt the same thing about this one particular actor. Uh, but overall, really, really love the movie. The soundtrack is is dope. I've been listening to it on repeat. I love that style of music anyway. So I've been enjoying my time on the mm-hmm. Spotify uh, where you can watch uh, eight, listen to eighteen of the twenty tracks, unlike Apple Music, mm-hmm. where you can listen to two of the twenty tracks. <laughs> Shout out to Spotify who uh, donates a generous contribution to us every week. <laughs> yeah, it's called my subscription. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what did you think of last night in Soho? Um, man, I wanted to love this movie so bad, and I didn't. Um, I was wildly disappointed. I still liked it. I liked it, but 
when I think Edgar Wright horror movie, like, oh my God, my expectations went through the fucking moon. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he's like top three director for me. And so I, I, I wanted to love the hell out of this movie, but the, without his, like you said, it's his most subdued movie. Like it's basically like cutting out his style, you know what I mean? And so then what's left there. And now there are some really beautiful moments um, and extremely cool trick photography and stuff where like, we know that the one character's witnessing another character in the past. And there's like a dance sequence with uh, Thomas and McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith. And like Matt Smith is like uh, swinging a girl past the camera. And by the time the camera's unblocked, it's the other girl that he's swinging around and like beautifully done, super cool, really subtle ways in which like Thomas and McKenzie appears in mirrors while she's watching what's going on in the past. Really, really, really neat. This movie is a super cool concept super duper cool that probably should have been directed by somebody else because it felt like somebody who is not a horror movie person trying to make a horror movie and it's like okay so what is a horror movie person that doesn't make horror or what what is a not horror movie person gonna do when they try to make a horror movie they're gonna use a lot of jump scares they're gonna have a little bit of an over-reliance on cg and um, they're going to struggle with pacing. And all of those things happened in this movie. Um, it felt bloated. Uh, it took a really long time. Like, it started out, out solid as hell. Like, most of the first act was super great. And I was, like, really excited about how it was building up. And then eventually I'm like, okay, come on, get along with it. And uh, I started to be bored during the modern day sequence, which is not good. Um modern day sequences and uh so I, I think that a solid like 20 minutes probably could have been cut out of the movie um i think that the performances were fantastic and there were moments of absolute brilliance in it you know i mean edgar wright even if this is not his forte is still a fucking phenomenal director and so he did some really really cool stuff um it just and i still like i said i liked it but i wanted to love it and i didn't Okay. Um, my thoughts, uh, again, we talked obviously a lot last night after we saw this movie, and I said that I wanted to take some time to really process how I felt about this movie. And I obviously did. I had two, two to three hour drives today, and uh, I listened to a lot of this kind of music and just kind of thought about it. And uh, I decided to add an extra half a star. So last night I gave three and a half out of five on Letterboxd. I, I, I bumped it to four. Um, I For John Leguizamo's performance. Yeah. Yes, for sure, for sure. Ooh, twins. He's all, not in this movie. All the way back, I was just thinking of Spawn again. Like because of his performance in Spawn, I added a star to Last Night in Soho. That's going to be a reason from here on out. If we ever add half a star to anything retroactively, it's for John Luke was almost one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I I agree with Andy on a lot of stuff. I think the I don't know how he feels about the third act, but I think that the first and third acts are very strong. It's the act two that struggles, and it's mostly. Um, due to one actor in particular's pretty awful rendition of the script, or maybe just that's how the script was. I'm not sure, but hated everything about what was going on there. I also think that there is a, what is supposed to be a huge turn in the plot that is telegraphed completely. It is not surprising in any way. And I think it is meant to be, um, and it's not a scary movie, right? But I disagree that another Another director maybe could have made a scarier movie, 
but I, Edgar Wright is a, uh, a savant when it comes to pop culture. Uh, I can't think of anyone aside from maybe Tarantino who visibly loves movies when making movies. You can see it in the DNA of the scenes. Uh, I love Edgar Wright's editing. I think he's one of the most talented, um, and I know an editor does the editing, but it has to be under his direction because it's always the same kind of pop, pop, pop. Um, I just love his style when it comes to uh, a final cut of a film. And there is no one that I know of that knows more about music that I've hardly even heard of uh, and uses it in his films and, and, and teaches me about that stuff. And I, what I'm saying is, and he, obviously he's from England. So you've got this inborn love of 1960s music and 60s cinema, and you've got a, a, a love of London. And there, there is no man or woman on earth better suited to tell that story than Edgar Wright. It's just unfortunate that it's in an ineffectual, somewhat horror film. Um, I just choose to not see this as a horror film. And that made me love it more. Also, the reasons why I loved it will be more spoilery. So it would have to come back to me when we allow some spoilers. You I do kind of want to push back because um, I know a lot of people are saying like, oh, this is a horror film. And I don't like I don't think it's a horror film either. Like if someone was like, is this a thriller? Is it a mystery? I would say yes. All It's all those things. But like even watching the trailers, I never thought this was going to be a horror film, you know, as you think of horror films typically. Sure. Like, so, so I was always thinking, I always coming, coming into this movie, like this is going to be some sort of psychological thriller with, uh, Edgar Wright's, you know, signature on it, sure. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was marketed passion. as Edgar Wright's foray into horror, right. Um, from the studio and from Edgar Wright himself. Um, but it's I agree with you definitely that not a horror film. I, I agree with you that it's, <laughs> it's, it's much easier to view in a positive light if you don't think of it that way. I mean, yeah. it, it's a horror as much as the witch is a, a, a typical horror film. But it um, does try to be spooky many times. I have, and, I have an article I want to read because Andy and I had some specific criticisms last night that nobody will ever believe us, but is elucidated in this article by okay. a professional critic almost to the T, but by, you know, with much smarter words. <laughs> uh, this is published uh, in Vulture by Bill Jabiri, who's one of my favorite critics. And the let, and there's no spoilers in this. Um Blah, blah, blah. With Wright utilizing shock tactics and jump scares with the same kid in a candy store voraciousness he brings to the film's pop montages. Right. And we can all agree that there was like I said, as soon as he walked out, I was like, he really was fucking having a great time with being able to use jump scares in his movies for once, wasn't he? Almost to where it's annoying. That can have a somewhat numbing effect. It was his next sentence. Um, and then he goes on to say his red herrings don't always work either. One particular narrative surprise involves a certain uh, character. I almost spoiled something telegraphed fairly early on, perhaps because right, at least on a visual and narrative level, does not really do subtlety. Right. And that I think we can agree with that. But really, who wants subtlety? So all, overall, this this critic loved the movie. Mm-hmm. So do I. But I agree that there's just a lot of things that don't work because of Wright's particular sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're not this is it's not a Shyamalan twist by any means. Right. It's an attempt at one that that fails. And mm-hmm. that's annoying. Uh, but ultimately, again, I was pretty disappointed until the last 20 minutes. And then I was like, OK, we salvaged this. Uh, and I can't say why because of spoilers. So let's get into spoilers right now. You are entering spoiler territory. You're bullshit. So I, what I spent most of the time thinking on um, and trying to see the import of this movie and the impact on me. First, 
absolutely adore Thomas and McKenzie. And Crushed I, it. everybody knows I love Anya Teller-Joy. They both did a phenomenal job. Um, Thomas and McKenzie's performance was so mousy that it sometimes annoyed me, mm-hmm. but that was on purpose, right? Where this is a small fish in a big old pond, right? And so that's, it's, I had so much empathy for her character that I couldn't help but be terrified during some of the scenes just for that character, which is what you want in any horror film. Um, and some of the stuff was lost on me until later. Like, I'm not really... I mean, I'm not a pop culture savant the way that uh, Edgar Wright is. So I didn't know that, you know, Dame Diana Rigg and uh, Rita Tushingham, who played Eloise's grandmother, were huge icons of 1960s cinema and were used very much on purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. I just had a sense that I was missing some things. Like so, I told you. Afterwards. So was uh, Margaret Nolan. I think she's the the bar tender. Oh, really? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was a Bond girl. Yeah. See. So, I mean, and then they had. uh was it well, so Thunderball? The the marquee had Thunderball, the Sean Connery mm-hmm. um, Bond film. Maybe I wonder she's if in she that was one. in that one. Yeah, that'd be dope. It'd be awesome. Um, so there's pieces like that that I was missing, but just the whole element of uh, Sandy's character uh, being forced into to sex trafficking. Sandy being Anya Taylor Joy. Yes. Well, pre- presumably they've seen the movie oh, recently yeah, if they got yeah. this far. But um, you know, Sandy's character ultimately being forced into sex trafficking, and that's. And here's what I started thinking while I was driving. That's the horror element of this movie. It's not so much the ghosts chasing, which are not scary for the mm-hmm. most part throughout. It's just tense, right? In an uncut gems kind of way. But that is horrifying. Like, and that, it, so he was trying to tell a story about, yes, I love 1960s London. I love the music. I love the cinema. Fuck, I wish I was there. And yet I bet it was fucking awful right. for most people. What if I was a woman in the 60s? You know what I mean? And that's where the horror element came in. I'm getting chills now. And I'm like, okay, that's the story. That's what I was failing to focus on because I'm a dude when I was watching this film last night. Right. Mm-hmm. It's how scary that would be. I mean, I don't know how I missed it. The whole narrative framing is uh grandmother talking about how your mother went and she was alone and she was a young woman. and It was too much for her. And you're she fucking, you're clairvoyant. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it was to be very careful. And then this young woman alone scorned by other women uh gets caught in this nightmare about another woman alone 40 years earlier that's trying to make it big and she's confident and talented and none of that matters because the chips are stacked against her you know what i mean and it's just then i started like you know what this is a fucking good movie that's flawed four out of five stars mm-hmm. uh, i just want to get that out because it was it's weighing <laughs> on me man um go ahead jump in whenever either one of you i mean any response to that i guess or yeah um so i i 100 agree and like thematically it was there for sure that like hey this is what happens to most people that try to pursue their dreams and uh that was established pretty significantly just the fact that she's surrounded by all these people that are so cutthroat against each other at, at, at the school fashion school fashion school that she goes to um i don't think that so i i th- i struggle with like it's basically a really great concept that was just kind of poorly executed. Like it's essentially like a horror version of midnight in Paris, right? Where it's like you go to, you're an aspiring creative that goes to the city that uh, in a certain era was like the pinnacle of what you aspire to be. So in midnight in Paris, it's dude. uh, That's an aspiring writer that thinks that 1920s Paris was like the tits. And uh, like he travels back in time and he gets to meet Ernest Hemingway and Scott Fitzgerald and stuff and super cool. But we got to see a lot, and I, I hate to be like a Woody Allen did it better. Like obviously, that, uh, but um, <laughs> there the uh. the 
flashbacks uh, to um, Sandy's journey, I wish that we had gotten just a little bit more because essentially her dreams are immediately crushed. And like, so like character sensibility wise, I struggle a little bit with like, how are you okay? Like she meets this charming dude at uh, the cafe de Paris. And uh, he's like, I, I bet I can probably get you an audition somewhere and awesome. And she gets him a gig or he gets her a gig as a backup dancer and then immediately is like now go fuck this guy and she's like i don't wanna but i guess i will and now she's just immediately like her downturn into like the the horror was just immediate and without any emotional arc it was just and now you're a victim and i struggle with that um because there there wasn't any like Oh, I have nowhere to go, or there were, there was no. I mean, I guess you assume that, but you sure. didn't you didn't give me any kind of character arc to the devolution of her or the destruction of her dreams into what is ultimately a tragic, horrible thing. It's just like now you're fucking dudes, and I I, I struggle with that. Also, well, like the, the show, the background dancer, she's in a it's a burlesque show. It's mm-hmm. like yeah, it's, it's immediately you're flashing your ass on stage, yeah. and now go fuck this guy and. Yeah. Well, I think that was a really awesome turn that was done well was uh, Eloise's character, Thomas McKenzie's character. Eloise was, uh, you know, waiting, excited and for the reveal of her hero to take the forefront in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't her and she's Mm -hmm. concerned and confused. And then she sees her in the back. Yeah, that was effective for Eloise. And there was multiple I mean, this took 40 minutes before, and you said the movie was too long, but then you want a more Sid Sandy story. And it was like, I think four turns. So we get Thomas McKenzie's first foray into the sixties. And then she sees Sandy and she loves her and everything. That's the best scene in the movie by far. That 10 minute sequence is fucking mm-hmm. brilliant. It's phenomenal. I can't believe it exists. Um, and then we cut back to modern day Eloise and then we go back to Sandy and it's the date where he takes her. He's late, but he takes her to the nightclub and we get kind of a bad vibe, gets her the audition and she's excited. And then they have sex and she's like, as long as you stay with me forever. So she gives of herself. Right. And we got to in context, unfortunately, back then, that was a much bigger deal. Right. And she, we can tell she's a woman alone in the city, very confident, but very much vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we cut back to modern day with Eloise and then we cut back and she's just the backup dancer. Right. So she's upset, but she's doing it. It's money. She probably needs to pay rent. And he's convinced her that this is just working your way up. Hey, I told you you had to work the coat rack at this other place. Of course, you're willing to at least be on stage at this place. So I could see that made sense to me. Mm -hmm. And then she brings him over. He brings her over to the wealthy men who we presume run nightclubs of their own. And she's probably heard of this type of thing going on and said that she was too good for it. I did stuff like that myself in the drug world. Right. We've already, uh, kind of seen, I think this is after the scene where we see a walkthrough of, uh, women performing sex acts and overdosing and getting high. So we see that a, a scores of other women that fall that prey to this right here, right after this. Right. So we, we kind of get the, this is common, right? So it's not like she's like, oh, this is crazy. She's just like, oh, I guess me too. Right. Um, and then, so I, I, I guess I disagree. I thought it was like, we didn't have time. And I agree with you that the more, I mean, more Anya Taylor joy, the better, mm-hmm. but I kind of got from the visuals, the step-by-step downfall of her dreams right and Mm -hmm. at no point is she like 
she's just pretty immediately resigned to it, which I guess is a little of what you're saying. Very much. Um, but we don't get to see that. We don't necessarily, I guess I took it from the visual language, like Eloise is journeying back and who knows how many months has passed. Like we, we, we legitimately have no idea. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she was a burlesque dancer for a month by the time Eloise sees this. Mm-hmm. It's only a shock in the first time to her. Right. So maybe there's that as well. I don't know. So I feel like, does that make sense? A little bit more yeah. of her. So, so like, I do, I do not want the movie to be longer right. by any means. Um, but I would have liked to shift the balance a little more to understanding um, Anya Taylor-Joy's character. Um, so like Sandy, aside from she wants to be a singer, I don't know anything about her, which is kind of a bummer. Um, and so in a way, aside from the fact that I love Anya Taylor-Joy, it's and the circumstance is obviously awful. There isn't a ton of like character to back up um, the audience's emotional stake in her journey. Um, I think that's purposeful, though, for that specific character. You think? Yeah, because you're meant to immediately like her. We'll root for her because you want her to be successful. She's pretty. She's confident. She's likable. She wants to be a singer. And then she's thrust into this world that you're like aghast at. Um, I think you're meant to not know that much about her. So when that turn happens, it's like, oh, we didn't really get to know who she was for real. Mm-hmm. And that and that feeds into the turn at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. That turn being obviously something that we haven't talked about yet. Um, the murder that was hinted at throughout the whole movie and massively hinted at in the trailers, which was a problem advertising wise. Uh, she was the one that was killing dudes. Yeah. So the film makes you believe that Eloise witnesses Sandy being murdered by Jack, her pimp, uh, who hid as a manager of singers. Um, and you are basically beat over the head with the fact that this elderly silver haired gentleman, as he's billed, but later, Terrence Stamp later revealed to be Lindsay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Played by Terrence Stamp is uh, the aged version of this character and has killed Sandy and walked free amongst London the rest of the time. And he kind of super creepy. Yeah. Like comically creepy yeah. toward Eloise. Uh, like, what's up? <laughs> you know, and it's like, I, you don't get the sense Where are you of going, hot girl? You don't get the, I mean, maybe he's just like this burnt out vice cop who was mm-hmm. no angel himself. And that's kind of why he's like that, I guess. But yeah, we don't really get to see that vice cop in his younger days. But you, you I well, guess you see him for a split second. You see him for a split second. And, I, and all you can really infer from that split second is, yeah, yeah he's a, probably a vice cop who's also probably a little shady, but also on the right side of the law, technically. Because yeah. he, he is kind of creepy in his one scene. I feel like young Lindsay had to have ended up on the cutting room floor because yeah. like when Taryn Stamp's character gets hit by the car and, and the bartender's like, that's Lindsay. I'm like, that's who? That's Lindsay. Remember Lindsay? Well, then they yeah, flash back to that <laughs> yeah. booth and like, ah, uh, um, that one. <laughs> and so that's the part that didn't work. Like at no point did I actually think that that was him except for fear that it really was. And then it was a really bad movie. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like when they're having the argument at the bar and like they're using dialogue that purposely makes it seem like it's about to have that reveal. I'm like, don't do it, bro. Don't do that. Because if that really is him and not a red herring, this is a problem. Like, it's a bad red herring. But if it's not a red herring, this is a really bad script. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, it's not because he's he's a professional. Um, so then it is revealed that the uh, the the caretaker who's renting her a room is actually 
played by Diana Rigg, is Sandy. Yes, Dame Diana Rigg is the Queen of Thorns. Queen herself. of Thorns herself is also a former Bond girl. Sandy, aka Alexandra, uh, and she actually murdered all of those Johns mm-hmm. um, and hid them in the floorboards of the house, and uh, and eventually tries to kill Eloise because she now knows, right? Um, and uh, the terrible actor boy, Mike, played by Michael Zhao. Um, anywho, I don't know where I was going with all this, but that's the synopsis. That's mm-hmm. the turn. Uh, and that's where I started to like the movie again is right at the end. All of the ghosts are surround. And that sequence was, uh, I think a George Romero reference, uh, they're breaching through the floor and the windows and busting through the wall. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like cracked glass wall. Cause it's surreal. So it's weird. They're all reaching, grasping at her. You think they're going to kill her. And then they hand her the phone, like call the cops, but also no, don't call the cops. Kill her. Hit her with the phone. She's super old. It shouldn't be hard. This part of the movie was this. This scene was right where the movie almost lost me because I was enjoying it for what it was the whole time. Like I think I'm the most positive out of all of us in here. Because sure. I was just like, I'm just eating my pretzel nuggets and having a swell time. <laughs> <laughs> but this scene when uh, she's running from Diana Rigg and the the zombie johns are like oh they get to <laughs> very her. slowly up the stairs and diana rig is flashing it back to becoming uh young on very Joy stylized and is singing yeah. and like i like that what was losing me was the 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 slowness of it but i'm like okay she's heavily drugged she's 85 <laughs> this is realistic right but no, the, the part when the, the Johns give her the phone, they're like, avenge us. I'm like, please. Oh, yeah, I was terrified. Make yeah. this fucking movie about avenging sex perverts because they got what was coming to them and they like make the victim the the villain of the movie. And thankfully they didn't like like she has that moment. She's like, no, fuck you. I, like and then she she hugs Diana Rigg and is like, no, you need to live like you can get past this. These people don't they don't control you anymore. And ultimately, like Diana Rigg is like, no, nah, I'll just I was burn up here. It's no big deal. Yeah, she's not going to go to prison. She's not going back first. <laughs> I, I can't go to prison. Tell Joffrey it was me. I'm a da- <laughs> Tell Cersei it was me. Oh, well, I'm saying Joffrey to like. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. Oh, I changed the character's name specifically. <laughs> but uh, no, um, what was my point with that? Fuck, I, I lost my train of thought. Anyway, uh, the, uh, okay, I lost it. It's gone. It's uh, gone that's now. okay. That's it's okay. We'll now. get it eventually. Daenerys we'll goes eventually. crazy and burns the city down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Boop. Um, so I, I feel like where I struggle is like the, what you call the Romero reference with the hands. I don't know if that's what it is. It's the just, hands busting out and maybe, maybe. It's, it's an apt, you know, yeah, yeah for sure. He definitely yeah. did the hand coming out the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was like, okay, obviously you're trying to make a horror movie and this is supposed to be spoopy. And I'm just like, uh, at, at this point, I'm, I'm mentally disengaged from the idea of it being a horror movie. And now I feel like I'm shitting all over it. And it probably, no, I just think like that it, here's, but I actually did have a lot of fun with tons of parts of it. I think you are the biggest schlock horror fan. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a bad thing. Like you, you like the most horror movie. You watch more horror than either of us combined. Right. And you cannot let go that this is not an effective horror film, mm-hmm. right? And that's the lens through which you're viewing, which is a totally valid take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just saying, like, I think that's the disconnect. Sure. Whereas, like, Steve or I were like, 
weren't scared either. Don't give a fuck. Didn't well, want to be. I, also, you know? <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, like, I am, you know, I obviously am not the, the biggest horror fan at all, at all of all of us, but I love thrillers. And there was a mm-hmm. lot of, I thought, very, very good scenes in this movie. It was where thrilling. It was, where it was high tension, where I was like, on yeah, the edge of my seat. Like, oh, what's happening? Ooh, like, uh, there, there's a scene uh, when her boyfriend and her, um, Thomas and McKenzie's character are about to do it. John, bed, I think. And she sees the the big vision and of, of Sandy being stabbed at the same time. That to me was like super. Oh my God, that was terrible. I was like, yeah. oh my God. Oh, this is an awful situation. Oh, get out. Why, why, oh, I can't I look away. Oh, don't do that. And they kept doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's stuff like that where I, I felt the tension and the thrill. Sure. But I wasn't necessarily like scared or anything. You right, know? right, right, right. Um, Did, with the, I hope that seems that, fair. Like I'm not was, reducing yeah, sure. your criticism. For I just sure. think that's the mental block. Well, it's not just to me that it wasn't an effective horror film. It also wasn't an effective Edgar Wright film. Mm-hmm. He, his scripts are normally air fucking tight. And everything that ever happens at any point has been foreshadowed a thousand times over early on. There's no fucking Chekhov's gun. Or what, what is a Chekhov's gun? Yeah, there is yeah, a Chekhov's yeah, gun. Yeah. Okay. There's no fucking Chekhov's gun that doesn't get fired for Edgar Wright. Um, like he ever if you go back and like look rewatch Hot Fuzz a thousand times, like we have, mm-hmm. like everything that happens, he has set up a thousand times over. And you can look back You've never and, seen Bad Boys Two. <laughs> <laughs> and you can look back and, and then they and, watch Bad Boys Two, you know? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chekhov's Bad Boys Two. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was co written, um, I forget her name, I just named her the the young lady mm-hmm. and i appreciate that he had a woman's perspective for this subject oh, matter that's important god sure. that's why simon Pegg was not the co-writer i'm right, sure right but maybe that's what it is i mean there's a little bit of extra flavor we normally don't get mm-hmm. um but I, I agree with you there's some more flaws script wise than there typically typically are in an edgar wright film i'm curious where this would rank for you or even i um on an edgar wright list I, i'll start because i've never seen fistful of fingers okay i, I would have it. to say it is probably Ooh, I don't know. Hot Fuzz. As number one? Number one. Baby Driver. I know that's controversial. Shaun of the Dead. Scott Pilgrim. Last Night in Soho. And then at, and then The World's End. And I know that that's... I, I'm probably very similar to yours. At or, uh, I would put this above At World's End. but Is it At uh, World's End? No, that's Pirates of the Caribbean. I always do. It's At World's End. It's, it's, it's the, just world's world, end. the World's End. Yeah, I always do the Pirates of the Caribbean title. I saved myself that time, <laughs> but not at the beginning of this episode. But anyway. Yeah, I, yeah, I would put it just above The World's End uh, and then all the other movies above it. But I still really love those movies. I just don't really like The World's End. I don't either, but it's a lot I, of I really smart great. film critics think it's the best of the Cornetto trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the most mature themed. And I just, it's not funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would put uh, The World's End above this. I would, this would probably be my, and I, like, I'm going to say again, I liked this movie. I just did not love it. And sure. every, every other Edgar Wright movie I have loved. And that's a big part of why I'm, I think I'm shitting on it. I literally, um, not literally, but I had metaphorically written this in as my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. Same. A year ago. Same. And same. it is not that. So that is true. Mm-hmm. However, uh, I, I think over time, this will become better and better. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those, the, one of those movies. I want to watch it uh, a second time to see if I can pick up on... Edgar Wrighty stuff. Like, yeah, I bet that there are some more like subtle. I caught a couple, but I bet there's that, a ton more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, that sequence where she first throws the blanket over her head that first night in that in that the apartment. camera pulls away from her. And you got the sign, the Italian sign flickering different colors. It's beautifully mm. shot. The camera pulls away and it becomes this surreal uh, lengthened cave. And it reminds me of uh, some of the surreal scenes from across the universe that Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody else watched that. Jim Sturgis, oh, fuck yeah. yes, yeah. and more importantly, Bonham. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> nailed it. Um, so anyway, tell it, me I'm not number two. And then it cuts away into like a bunch of visually shit I've never seen before. Yeah, and it's extremely impressive camera work. Um, and then you know, Anya Taylor Joy was the perfect cast because she's just like a goddess, right? Mm-hmm. It just seems otherworldly, and you can see how Eloise would fall immediately in love. And it does wonders for her character. She she builds confidence. She buys the old nineteen sixties jacket. And I said last night I wanted to see more of that. Like where I thought this movie was going to go was that she would learn things successively visit after visit from this other woman and start to take charge of her own life mm-hmm. in a more visible way like you know tell jacosta to you know suck her dick which is what i really wanted for like, sure hey suck my dick get off so my coat yeah so uh, brave. <laughs> so brave but she you know jacosta never gets a real come up it's she's just kind of a hater that's yeah. another i think there probably is a deleted scene where she does yeah, that, yeah. I, I yes definitely i a hundred percent agree i would have liked to have seen more character development of uh thomas mckenzie's yeah. character as a result of her experiences in the past essentially all that we really get from her is like uh, that is a po- it's, it's, any kind of positive is she really liked that dress from that first time she saw her. And now that's her thesis or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's like instead of going and learning something with each successive visit, every time she visits, it just starts to dominate her life in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. instead of learning things, every time she comes back from sleeping, her life is just more and more insane because now she's seeing shit in her day to day and looking like a crazy person. And she seems to have found all the eyeshadow in London. Right. <laughs> and and if we, if they wasn't so wrapped up in like I said, I was doing a horror film. <laughs> yeah. You know, the script sure. I think would have been better. Um, just do mm-hmm. your thing. If it was, it doesn't have to be super funny. Like baby driver is pretty funny, but it's also a departure from what he had been doing. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. you know, if you were in baby driver territory, even Love action, baby this would, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is the most musical director. He's never done a musical, but he's one of the most musical hey, directors really on should. the planet. He really should. Um, uh, how about Matt Smith fucking killing it as uh, Jack? Yeah. yeah, I hated yeah. him, so that was effective. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought that he Matt Smith's was really good at playing assholes. Perfect, like mix of like initially charming and in a bad boy way, and then ultimately mm-hmm. pretty villain, not villainous, not pretty villainous, extremely villainous, but like it, but still Just in a this like hunt with a capital C. Right, right. Um, he he kills it at that, and like I and this is I'm a, so handsome, I can probably get you a job. <sighs> You can't see it, listener, but uh, Chris is trying to will his forehead to be larger so that he can mimic Matt Smith better. He's very, I bet if he did my 23 and me, he would have like 33% Neanderthal DNA. I think he's a handsome man. really do. He's your favorite he doctor over fucking David Tennant. He is my favorite That's doctor. That's crazy. Did you know, uh, I, I didn't remember this until I was kind of researching stuff for the tonight's episode, but I had totally forgotten that there's an episode of Doctor Who where Matt Smith plays opposite of Diana Rigg. Uh, she's the Mr. Sweets lady. Mr. Sweets. Everyone. She's got like a candy store, but like there's like a parasite on her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Every UK actor is in Doctor Who, especially if they were in Game of Thrones. Right. Yeah. 100%. Is Terrence Stamp in Doctor Who? I, I would bet my life. Yeah. Every actor in this movie is uh, some form of a, a United Kingdom 
cinema hero. Even uh, yeah. the guy that I hate, Michael Ojao, I don't hate him as a person. I just didn't like this performance. I don't want to make that clear. <laughs> well, yeah, that performance was... He was in Attack the Block. Bad. Have you guys seen that indie yeah. film? Oh, but I really want to. Attack the Block's dope. Yeah. So that's where he came from, and I really respected that nod as well. Yeah, that uh, his acting was not good in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. like any like th- this movie's so well cast. There's so many great actors in this. Is crushing every scene, and then you got this poor guy that's like, oh, oh I'm here to help. Oh, I am. I really think. Well, here's the. Oh, I just thought of something that made me feel like an asshole. I think because he's a really nice guy, right? Like to a point that bothered me. Mm-hmm. I think. It's meant to offset the fact that every other male in this movie is actively terrible. Well, yeah. Right. That's that he's too nice. Yeah. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like a, a juxtaposition against a bunch of uh, rapists and just leering jaded cops and things like that. I think it's a combination of that for sure, I think is what they're trying to get across with him. But also they have to make it. This guy has to be awkward, socially awkward enough to where he can realistically be into Thomas and Mackenzie's socially awkwardness. Cause she's an incredibly socially awkward character as well, mm-hmm. which is fine, so but he tolerates have... like legitimate dangerous behavior. No, no. Yeah. He absolutely does. You try but... to stab her in the face with scissors. You're such a silly girl. But I think if you, gotta... <laughs> it's okay. You need to, st- you're so stressed. Come on, love. I got tea. <laughs> Just stay right there. It's like, no, get the fuck out of that library. I love that part when she almost stabs uh, Jacos in the face and he stops her and he's like, it's all right. And she's, and Jacos is like, no, it's fucking She's not. <laughs> right. Also, your reflexes are impressive. <laughs> it's like the most genuine reaction to anything in a movie ever. Right. No, it's fucking not. Me and Chris are joking about the reflexes on the drive home. Like, did you fucking see what I just did? I grabbed that shit. <laughs> I'm the British Miles Morales with my spider sense. <laughs> she was like, yeah. And I was like, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to kind of mention before, uh, as you know, Diana Rigg passed away. Uh, but so this movie was finished in like 2019. It was supposed to come out, yes, around 2019, but yes. it, it kept getting delayed because of COVID, obviously. Uh, and Diana it Rigg was never a, a Halloween movie. He actually joked, um, "Well, there's a Halloween party in it, so it's a Halloween movie. We're going to release on October 29th." I just thought that was funny. <laughs> it is a Halloween. It makes party. sense to me now because I read that tweet six months ago. But Diana Rigg passed away September 9th. Yes. Uh, 20, or, I'm sorry, September 10th, 2020. And the first thing you see in the movie is it says for Diana. Mm-hmm. What we all miss, but I, I found out later, was uh, Margaret Nolan also passed away on October 5th, 2020. And she has a, a memorandum in the end credits. Oh, uh, so Diana Rigg has hers in the beginning. And Margaret uh, Nolan's is in the, uh, in the end credits. Oh, shit. R.I.P. Legendary Dames. This is just the movie of dead people. Now it is spooky. It really is spooky. <sighs> mm-hmm. So I, all in all, I think we all recommend that you go support and see Edgar Wright's newest foray. Absolutely. Just There's don't a, go into with the fucking idea of it being a horror film. And I think you'll have a lot better time. Sure. Um, similar things have happened in the past movies like um, Crimson Peak, you know, mm-hmm. um, any hoozle. That's all we have to say. I think about last night in Soho. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Chris. And I'm Andy. And I'm Steve. Happy streaming. Happy streaming.